0: Let us hear the word of our God, Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead So that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters. Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever amen as we begin here today i want us to think for a moment about peer pressure and uh, peer pressure can be a good thing when you are hanging out with your friends or maybe with your family at a get-together or if you're at work with your colleagues the pressure that you receive from those around you can encourage you to do what is good and right Peer pressure, of course, can be bad. If you're with your friends or your classmates or uh, uh, other people and they are encouraging you to do what is sinful, it can make it much easier to go down that path. Peer pressure can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. And Paul, in a certain sense, is addressing this matter here in verse 32, at least in some ways. Now, as we have seen in this section, this first Main section of Romans. Paul begins with the topic of sin and judgment. Paul first indicates that God pours out his wrath every day upon sinners, and this has been true since Adam. And because Adam represented us, right, all of us are sinners and all of us sin. All people suppress the truth. Everyone is Uh, establishing idols in their lives and following lies and using their minds to live without God. It's not a question of if we do this, it's a question of when we do this and are we aware of doing it. And so God punishes us then for these sins by giving us over to sexual sins and to social sins. He gives us minds that do not work correctly and that We harm one another in our relationships. And so as we've seen here in verses 29 to 31, Paul is teaching us that because we do not love God as we should, there is little love for others. Instead of loving God and our neighbor, sinners hate God and their neighbor as God's punishment. And so all sinners then commit all of these sins in thought, in word, and or deed. Some of us may not commit these sins outwardly, but we do so inwardly. There are varying degrees of this. Some of us sin in some of these ways more than in other ways, but we all sin. Few of us murder people, and yet we've all done so with our words when we gossip and slander. Now, As we come to the end of this chapter, I wanted to now address this particular point. You will often hear people say that Paul is describing a descent into sin, a slippery slope down into greater and greater sins. And, you may recall, I've said something similar in the past too. But the more I study this passage, the less I believe that that is true, at least in the way that we often hear it. I do not think that Paul is saying that when we turn away from him and we establish an idol in our lives, the first sin he gives us is something sexual in nature. And that if we persist in those sexual sins, he then gives us to social sins in verses 29 to 31. That, that is certainly not what we see in real life, does it? Some of us are filled with hatred toward our neighbor But we've never fallen into sexual sins, at least externally speaking. Furthermore, when Paul speaks of the depraved mind in verse 28, that takes us back to verse 21, that God gives us futile thinking. And so useless minds do not follow after sexual sins necessarily. And we often see social sins preceding sexual sins. And so... Because of these things, I think it's better for us to look at this section and say, when we turn from God, God hands us over to many kinds of sins. But when we persist in those sins, then it gets worse. We go downhill, if you will. He gives us to worse forms of sin and even more of them. So for example, If we talk about the sexual sins, maybe we begin in our minds with lusting after another person. If we persist in that sin, then God may give us over to looking at things, pornography. And if we persist in that sin, then maybe he gives us over to actually acting upon those sexual desires with somebody else, having an affair, premarital relations or something like that. And if we persist in those things, then he may give us over to sexual perversions. There is a descent into sin, but I think this is how we need to understand it. Not, again, going from one verse to the next, but focusing on each sin and it gets worse and worse. So let me give you another example. Maybe um, we have turned away from the Lord and we've tried to live our lives on our own without him and his word. And so he gives us over to a mind that um, likes to criticize other people. And so we're constantly doing these things. And, and if we persist in those things, then God may give us over to actually then saying critical things to others. We gossip, okay? And And it, at first, maybe it's kind of quiet. Maybe we don't do it very much. But if we persist in these things, then he gives us over to even worse sins of the tongue where we now actually openly slander people And if we persist in that, then it may even descend even to antagonism, violence, these kinds of things. Not just violence with words, but violence with our other actions. Do you see the point here? I think Paul is talking about a descent, but in this way. Not that one sin is going to lead then to another sin in the sense of sexual sins leading to social sins or something like that. And so because of this, because of this idea of persisting in sin and descending to worse and worse sins and even more and more sins, as we come now to verse 32, I think Paul is ending, if you will, at the bottom, the bottom of depravity. When we persist in sin, instead of using these sinful actions as, and seeing them as punishment that God is bringing upon us for our idolatry. And instead of responding in in repentance and turning to him in faith, when we persist in it, we end at the very bottom. And that's what verse 32 is describing. So, let's read it again. And it says, Who, knowing the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. All right, first of all, who is who? He starts the verse with this pronoun, who? Well, if you look back at verse 28, note it says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them so this is who who is referring to. Well, who are they? <laughs> who are them? Well, verse 26, we have the same thing. God gave them up. Verse 24, God gave them up and so forth, right? Well, let's keep working backward. Well, the last time we see a pronoun is in verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Well, that means we need to go to Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So all these they and thems, and now the who in verse 32 takes us all the way back to those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Okay? That is who he is referring to. Now, as I've said all along in this section, this is not merely a reference to the unbeliever. Certainly that is true. But even those who profess faith suppress the truth in various ways. He's not merely talking about the Gentiles, for even Jews fell prey to these sins too. And so it's not just the really bad people, but all of us, all people, do these kinds of sins. So notice then what he says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Paul's first point here in the verse is to say that everyone knows the righteous judgment of God is to punish sinners by death. We all know this. We all know that God hates sin and he punishes sinners. And we all know that we deserve it and that he is just to do so. And so as we said from the beginning in verses 18, 19, and 20 especially, There are no such things as as atheists. People will call themselves atheists, but deep down, we all know that God exists, and we all know that we'll give an account to God. Now, Paul has been emphasizing the daily judgments that we face for turning from him. Hey, with these sexual sins, with these social sins, with minds that don't work correctly. These are daily judgments that we receive. But now, here in verse 32, notice he's talking about ultimate judgment. He's talking about death. Physical death, yes, but spiritual death too. These sins, verses 24 to 31, are judgments for turning from God, and we have them in our lives from day to day. But in them, God gives us an opportunity to repent, right? To, to hear his bullhorn, as it were, to say, hey, you're sinning, return to me through Jesus Christ. But if we do not do that, the end is death. The end is judgment, physical death and ultimate spiritual death. And, and Paul's going to go on and say in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And he's saying here in this verse, we all know that. Okay. In James chapter 2, verse 10, James teaches us that even if we're a pretty good person, in fact, even if we keep all the law, but we only sin once or a few times or something like that, well, we still deserve death. So it's not just the really bad people that deserve death. We all do. And that's why we all die even if we're not as bad as someone else. We do not die because we have breast cancer or a pancreas that doesn't work correctly or something like that. Those are secondary reasons why we might die. The main reason why we die is because we're sinners. Even the best of us. And so we have no hope in ourselves to avoid death. Oh, we may go to the gym and work out. We may put on lots of makeup or take su- supplements or have surgeries or uh, try most anything to live longer. And it may work to some degree. But in the end, we all died eventually. We were born into the land of the dying. And we were born into this land because we're sinners. All right, now... <clears throat> Let me develop a little bit here, Paul's point, that we all know this, okay? Knowing the righteous judgment of God, right? Everybody knows this. Well, how do we know this? Well, he's already told us in verses 19 and 20 how we know this, right? Again, let me read this, verse 19, what we mean. Known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay. We know these truths. We know God exists. We know all these attributes of God, including his justice and righteousness. We know that we're sinners. We know that we deserve judgment simply by looking around us. Looking at the things that God has made. You know, if we live in the city, we are surrounded by things that God has, or excuse me, that man has made. And it can be hard to see the stars and even the sun and the moon to some degree. Um, and so it's easier for us to think that, um, right, things are all about us. But, it's, you know, you go to Central Park in New York or you drive outside of the city and you can see the stars and you see the trees, obviously it becomes very plain to every one of us that God made all of this and we must give an account to him. Think of it also in this way. Some bugs and some plants do not live very long. Some of them only for a few hours or maybe a few days and they die and and that's it. Uh, Many might live the whole season of, of the growing season, maybe for a few months or something like that, and then they die and they maybe lay some eggs or uh, spread some seeds so that uh, the next spring things will grow. Um, but, you know, even things that continue to live, such as uh, your perennials or the trees or something like that, even the trees don't last that long, maybe several decades. A few of them last longer than that. Hey, the bristol cone pine trees in the northwest live a long time. Supposedly, there is the Methuselah tree that has lived 4,700 years. And the Norway spruce in Sweden live a long time. Supposedly, one of them has lived 9,500 years. Now, let me just pause and say, that's according to gradualism, right? We also know that trees have rings um, not just for annual things, but even other events and such, so they can have multiple rings in one year and anyway, so even though they might be two, three, four thousand years old, that 's really old, but eventually they die. And we see that all around us don 't we? Hey, we? We look out here, the woods off to my right, your left, and we see fallen trees. We see things that are dying and decaying. In our drive here to the church, if you came on Creek Bottom Road or something like that, you see these things as well. And this is teaching us something. One of the things it's teaching us is that we all die. If the things that God made dies in the created order, that, that includes us. because Paul's going to go on to say in Romans chapter 8, that the reason why the trees die is because of our sin. If the trees are dying because of our sin, it's, then we're certainly going to die too. Okay. Those who believe in gradualism, those who believe in an old earth, obscure this point. But Paul is making the point pretty clearly. Okay. Through general revelation, we all know that we're going to die and give an account to God. Now, there is another way that we all know this. And that is what he's going to say in chapter 2. If you look at verse 14 in uh, chapter 2, he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, and here he's referring to the law of Moses, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Paul is saying that Not everybody has received special revelation in the way that Israel did. Not everybody has received the Old Testament or the New Testament. But everybody has received the law because God put it there when he made us. And so everyone deep down does know God's law. We know that when we sin that we have broken his law and that he is not happy with us, and the result is judgment. And we know that that judgment is now death and forever. Let's turn here a moment to Genesis chapter 2. This law was given not just because God created us with that on our hearts, but it was spoken in the very beginning to Adam, and this word has passed down ever since. Corrupted, surely... But this idea has been sent down through the centuries. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God says here, uh, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so from the very beginning, God told Adam that this would happen. Sin results in death. The wages of sin is death, right? Right. Now, there are different terms for this. Some people call this the covenant of Adam. Some people call it the covenant of works or the covenant of creation, you know, whatever. But this covenant is still in place. People die every day. It indicates to us this covenant is still in place. And we die again because we're sinners. And everybody knows this. Now, this knowledge then ought to lead us to live circumspectly. And we see that throughout history. You have uh, various religions that are established and and so they offer sacrifices or they do other religious activities to appease God or the gods and so forth. Well, this is because deep down they know God's not happy and we need to make it right with him. And so they try to live rightly to avoid that punishment. Now, of course, You can never do that, right? We can never appease God in and of ourselves. That's why we need Christ. But knowing that there is a day of reckoning motivates us to righteous living. Certainly we're not perfect, but this is what humans do. Let me read here um, two passages a moment. Uh, First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul makes this point here for us. Uh, to the corinthians in chapter 3 verse 13 he says each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is we know that day is coming it motivates us to try to do what is right in titus chapter 2 speaking specifically for the believer Here he says in verse 11 of Titus 2, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, referring to Christ, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first coming of Christ motivates us to obey. The second coming of Christ motivates us to obey too, because we all know we will stand before him. All right, now let me bring it back here to what Paul is trying to tell us. When we persist in our sin, when we ignore God's warnings, these daily judgments, when we suppress the truth even more, we eventually come to the point where we convince ourselves that there will not be a day of reckoning. It's pretty hard to convince ourselves that we're not going to die. But it is a lot easier for us to convince ourselves that it'll be okay. Okay? We're all going to go to some better place, right? Or this life is all there is, we are told. You know, maybe the really bad people are going to be punished, but of course I'm not one of them. And so we convince ourselves in this way. And we even start saying that hell is fun. Some people dismiss hell altogether, but you'll even hear these other things. You remember the old Grateful Dead song of the what is it, 60s or 70s or something like that? They sing about going to hell in a basket and enjoying the ride, and we're going to party when we get there. It, do you see what this is communicating? It's communicating this idea that the day of judgment is no longer deterring people from sin. That's a really bad place to be in. Death and the final judgment no longer deterring the sinner. Uh, We just think we can do anything then, right? There won't be any consequences. It doesn't matter how we live now. And, of course, we're ignoring the truth and suppressing it. Uh, But we say, hey, we're just going to eat, drink, and be merry and just enjoy life. Maybe so if you remember the Van Halen song of the mid-'80s when Sammy Hagar joined the group and such, and best of both worlds song. Hey, it's a very, very popular song of theirs. And the one line, it says, you don't have to die and go to heaven or hang around to be born again. Just tune into what this place has got to offer because we may never be here again. I want the best of both worlds, a little heaven right here on earth. Do you see what this is communicating? Hey, Sammy Hagar, Eddie Van Halen, and the rest, they've come to this idea and this was, you know, 35 years ago plus, that there isn't going to be a day of judgment. And if there is, it's okay. I'm going to go there anyway. And so we might as well live it up now. It's a bad place to be when we come to this place in our thinking. But notice how Paul then goes another step in his thoughts. And that's the rest of the verse. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's really bad when we ignore that the day of judgment is coming. But it's even worse when we say that right is wrong and wrong is right. It's bad to sin, but when we approve of those who sin, that's even worse. We're not merely giving into temptation. Without the fear of consequences, we are deliberately encouraging other people to sin. And so both the sinner and the one who approves of sin are culpable. We are pretending that evil is good. And so it's worse than doing evil and feeling bad for it. We don't have remorse, but we're also praising sinful behavior. This is a really bad place to be in. And isn't this exactly where we are in our culture today? I mentioned a couple of old songs. Hey, let me use a couple of TV shows here. You remember the show Cheers? Right? Sam Malone, the bar in Boston, all this sort of thing, right? Well, I haven't counted it up, but I think pretty much in every episode, Sam is praised for his sexual escapades. He's got his little black book, right? And all the guys cheer when he goes out on a date and he comes in and he's scored with a woman and all this sort of thing, right? They're praising sin. It's not that Sam goes out and he sins and he comes in and he regrets it. No, they're praising sin. Or when Norm is sitting there on his bar stool drinking beer all night and such and, and they praise him for not going home to Vera. He closes out, cheers every night, and this, that, and the other. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the, the TV show Cold Case. I mentioned how I enjoy cop shows and so forth. Um, well, not surprisingly, many episodes of this show say that sexual sin is okay. In particular, Scotty, the one detective, he he's has one night stands on a very regular basis, and that's praised. They even praise homosexuality and transgenderism. In our culture here in the last couple years especially, we see that it's a good thing to have drag shows for children or to teach gender identity to kindergartners and preschool kids. We are praising sin. Have you heard now that some schools are putting litter boxes in the closet so that the kids who identify as cats can have a same place, safe place. It's just craziness. But what else would you expect? Right? If you're going to ignore God's warnings, he's going to lead you to a very bad place, a place where we ignore judgment that is coming, a place where we say right is wrong and wrong is right. There's so many other examples that can be given here, but let me uh, read here a moment. This is from John Murray in his uh, uh, paragraph on this. He says, The most damning condition is not the practice of iniquity, however much that may evidence our abandonment of God and abandonment to sin. It is that together with the practice, there is also the support and encouragement of others in the practice of the same. To put it bluntly, We are not only bent on damning ourselves, but we congratulate others in the doing of those things that we know have their issue in damnation. We hate others as we hate ourselves and render, therefore, to them the approval of what we know merits damnation. Iniquity is most aggravated when it meets with no inhibition from the disapproval of others and when there is collective undissenting approbation. Or to put it another way, when the peer pressure is no longer encouraging you to do what is right, but your friends or colleagues or family members are encouraging you to do what is wrong, that's just a terrible place to be in. Look, God made us a little lower than the angels, but he did make us above the animals. When we sin, we act like animals. And then feudal minds have come along and claim that we've evolved from animals. And so it's okay to act like animals. And that's a bad place to be in. But you remember one more (coughs) uh, pop culture reference here. You remember the old uh, Matrix movie? And you remember when Agent Smith was talking to Morpheus? And he says, you humans are like a virus. Animals usually learn to live with each other, this symbiotic relationship. But humans, you just bent on utter destruction of yourselves and everything else. That's the end of sin, isn't it? I think we have to conclude that our culture here in America is very, very near the bottom. I'm not sure how much worse it can become unless we want to talk about war. But in terms of social behaviors and so forth, we can't even define what a woman is anymore. It's just a terrible place to be in. And any society that suppresses the truth about God and suppresses his truth will end up in this place eventually. For Paul, Jerusalem came to that place within 15 years of writing this letter. Rome was about a 400-year time in between. Uh, It seems like our culture is much closer to the 15-year mark before we collapse completely. But You know, it's easy for us, again, as I was emphasizing last week, it's easy for us to look around and say, oh, look at those terrible people over there. Look at how awful it is with... Our governing officials or whatever it may be, the media and this, that, and the other. But how many times have you said something is evil is a good thing? In fact, as Christians, we sometimes do this even more than non Christians, because we justify our sin with the scriptures. And we call it good, and we justify our gossip. Or we justify our boasting, or we justify some other sin, and we use the scripture to do it. Let's not just blame everybody else. Let's not just point everybody else in their sin. Okay. But we too look at the day of judgment and we say, I'm forgiven in Christ. I can go ahead and sin a little bit. Oh, We, we might not admit that, even to ourselves, but we do it too. As I mentioned last week toward the end, one of Paul's primary purposes here in this section is to say you have no hope in and of yourselves to escape the wrath of God. The wrath that we receive every day and the wrath that is coming on the final judgment. None of us can escape this. And if you accept that point, you're in a good place. Because then, you will turn away from yourself. You will quit justifying your sin. And you will look to God through Jesus Christ. Again, this is Paul's goal. He wants us to see how bad and utterly hopeless we are in and of ourselves. And so here are a few words about Paul's words in this verse. And As we turn to chapter 2 here, Lord willing, next week, Paul's going to transition to a slightly different point. And so we'll begin that here next Sunday. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. And we are thankful, Lord, for its uh, clarity and its uh, penetrating insight. Lord, again, we ask that you would be merciful to us, that we would be willing to accept Our sin, not to justify sinning, but that we would accept the reality that we're rotten people. And compared to you, we are are so wicked. Help us, Lord. Humble us, Lord. Help us to be willing to see this and not just point the finger at somebody else and justify our own sin. For the whole purpose of turning to you in faith and repentance. Lord, we pray for your mercies here in this way, that you would work in us. We pray, too, as we live in a culture that is seemingly at the very bottom, as Paul describes here for us. Help us, Lord, not to be like the culture around us, but uh, to honor you in all things. Lord, we, again, are, are most grateful for who you are. We are most grateful for your grace that Paul is yet to describe for us here in this section. But we are so thankful for Jesus Christ, who has been obedient in our place and who has taken the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Lord, instill faith in us that we might trust you and live for you in all things. We pray all this then in Jesus' name. Amen.